Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. Um, if you don't know me, uh, I'm not the pastor of this church. I'm a youth minister. My name's Ryan. And you're about to know that I am for sure the youth minister by this announcement I'm about to make. Um, I had a big change in my life this week. I downloaded TikTok. <laughs> Someone gasped, like, oh, that's so funny. Yeah, I downloaded uh, TikTok. Now, at first, it was not, uh, like, it, I mean, it was my choice, but I, I did it out of necessity uh, because uh, we're making some sectional benches uh, for our outdoor, like, fire pit area. And uh, Brett Bailey actually sent me the video, and he was like, hey, I saw this on TikTok. It looks really cool. So I watched the video. It does look cool. And so to get, like, the plans for the, uh, for the, the sectionals, I had to download TikTok to go to, like, a link. But then after I did that, it, it drew me in, right? If you don't have a TikTok, don't get it because it's built to be addictive. Like, if you get it for any purpose, you will just be mesmerized. So I have spent at least a full hour, you know, just looking at my phone, scrolling through, you know, these videos that are seven seconds, 30 seconds, but, you know, they're just really short and you can just zip through them, right? And it's, and it's just, it's mesmerizing. It's just mindless. But now I've noticed as I'm watching these videos that there are like, there are these trends and people like say the same things and they listen to the same songs. And I've started noticing them like, Flip into my everyday kind of vernacular. And the students have too. Watch this. We're going to do a little, a little test. I'm glad Lizzie Wilson's here. All right? She knows. So we're going to do a little call and response. This is how much TikTok is ingrained in some of these students. You ready? Watch this. I'm going to start it, and you guys got to finish it, okay? Students, wherever you may be, a lot of them are up here. Watch this. I don't know. Red is kind of sus. Red is kind of sus. It means suspicious. Um, okay, what about this one? I like your, I like your cut, G. It's like a haircut, pretty cool, right? But this one's funny. This one's new. It says, I ain't never seen, I ain't never seen two pretty best friends. That one's kind of mean. But see, they know these things, right? I could just say, I could sit here for, you know, minutes, thirty minutes, and just spout the beginning of these, and they'd know them, and I'd know them because we sat there and I've watched them, and I've habitually they've started to sink into my mind. I remember them, and they work their way into my, my everyday uh, language, right? And then, kind of in a more pernicious way, a more undercutting way, I watch these things, and I'm like, oh, this is popular. This is cool. This is what people like. And I start seeing how people dress and how they talk and the music they listen to, and I'm like, well, I'm not like that. I mean, mainly because I'm not 15, like most people on TikTok. But, like, I don't, like, that's weird. I don't know about that. That's weird. That's suspicious. That's another TikTok trend. Um, and I start comparing myself to these people. And so the, the, the app is, is shaping how I talk and how I act, but it's also saying, hey, this is what the good life looks like. So I think a lot of times we let um, things that are not of God shape how we think and shape how we speak and shape how we view the world, what makes me worth it, what makes me good enough. And that's been true for all of human history. So our text this morning is Nehemiah 8, uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. And we're going to see there's these two guys, Ezra and Nehemiah, and they, um, they uh, have, have come together for a job, and they are here to remind God's people of this truth, that experiencing the word of God forms us 
and it defines our joy. Experiencing the word of God forms us and defines our joy. Just as those short videos on TikTok or on social media form us, what we like, what we say, and they define our joy, what we think is worth it, what we think is good, what we think is valuable. Experiencing the word of God always forms us, defines our joy. Nikki Mason just got a little bit. All right, so reading, um, and I'm actually, I'm going to ask you to do something a little weird. It'll make sense about midway through, but if you're able, would you stand uh, as we read God's word together? Also, please forgive me. I'm going to butcher some names. Here we go. Nehemiah chapter eight. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord, uh, that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose. And beside him stood uh, Mattathiah, Shema, Anaiah, Ariah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Pedaiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Heshum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshalam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. Ezra blessed God the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Yeshua, Bani, Hirabiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hadiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Yozabad, Hanan, Pelaiah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe of the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing Ready, for this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, and to send portions, and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared. This is the word of the Lord. So, a little background information on what's going on here before we, before we really uh, dive into the text. The Israelites, God's chosen people, about 50 years before this, uh, a rival nation, the Babylonians, have swept in. That was the Babylonians. Have swept in, and they've destroyed Jerusalem. They've destroyed their capital city, and they've taken Israel captive. They've taken the people of God captive. And this is judgment from God because of the repeated idolatry of Israel. And so... Fifty years pass, and Nehemiah, who, who we get to later on in the text, he is actually serving in the court of the king who has come and, and taken out all of Israel. He, he serves, uh, he, he's his cupbearer. 
His name is Artaxerxes. And, and one reason that I've been reading Nehemiah recently is because Nehemiah shows us what it means to be a good citizen in a world that hates the kingdom of God. How can we be good citizens when the government, when the things that have been set up by man are not for the things of God? So Nehemiah is a, is a model citizen, but he's also a model follower of God, a follower of Yahweh. That was just for free. That's just a sidebar. So Nehemiah, he, he, he's the cupbearer, and he knows that Jerusalem needs to be rebuilt. And so he petitions the king, and he says, hey, king, I want to go to Jerusalem, rebuild my city, rebuild the wall so that the people there can be protected. And the king allows him and, and gives him money and gives him charters to go do that. And so Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem, and he's ready to build the walls, and he kind of rallies everybody. And then there's all this conflict, there's all this fighting. And so people are kind of arguing, should we be doing this? If this is how we, if this is, if we're going to do it, should we do it like this? Should we do it like that? And there are other people that are like, we are not doing this. This is not what we want to do. So there, there's all this kind of, kind of conflict. And so here we pick up in chapter eight, we have a people who have been away from their homeland. They've been distant. They've been living in squalor. They're being threatened from every side. Jerusalem sits in a valley and there's enemies on the mountains on both sides, just waiting for them to do something, waiting for them to bring stuff in so they can go steal it. They can go attack. They're living in squalor. They're threatened on all sides. And so they go in and they build the walls and they protect their people. And what do they do to celebrate? That's what we just read in chapter eight. The people to celebrate God's provision, the rebuilding of the walls, what do they do? They stand and read the word of God because they know that experience, experiencing the word of God is what forms them, what shapes them, and what t- it tells them what true joy really is. So let's just look at verses one through seven really quickly and look, think about this idea of the word forming us. So we can get really bogged down in, in names and details here, but I actually think the details are where the, the message, uh, the, the point of this text really comes from. One of the most important things are the small details that Nehemiah has given us, these specifics. It tells us how they gathered. It tells us how they listened. It tells us how they learned. It actually looks a lot like what we're doing now. There's someone standing reading from God's word in front of all the people. And so a lot of the things we take from our, our worship services is from this text. But it gives us an insight on how we can shape our hearts to love what God loves and to love God's word as much as the Israelites do. So I'm just going to focus on three aspects that we see exhibited here uh, by, by the gathering. Unity, intentionality, and reverence. Unity, intentionality, and reverence. So first off, unity. The first eight words of of this text make a radical statement. A radical statement. What does it say? And all the people gathered as one man. So we know a few things about division, and and so do the Israelites. The gathering on that day, don't think of it like it was like Woodstock or something. It wasn't like good feelings, like good vibes only, we all love God, we all love the city, we're all cool with each other. No, that's not what it was like. There were people in that congregation who were priests that had failed their duty and Nehemiah had rebuked them in front of everyone and essentially fired them and said, you are not worthy to be priests publicly. And those people are gathered there on that day. There are people who, when they got to Jerusalem, they said, hey, instead of building uh, the temple and instead of building the walls, what if we just built our own houses? And we made our own houses really nice. 
And people said, no, we're not going to do that. And those people are gathered here. There were deep-seated opinions and conflicts and emotions running in the congregation. But when it came to hearing the word of God preached, all of that disappeared. They were not just gathered as a group who, who got along. We all got along. Nathan, this morning, was talking about, um, when we were meeting in the office, was talking about Skyline versus Gold Star. I prefer Gold Star because they have burgers and I don't have to eat nasty Cincinnati chili. <laughs> amen. I got to clap. I got to amen. I'm from Texas. I eat real chili. <laughs> Some people got opinions about chili out there. But see, look, we have all these opinions about chili, right? It seems like a small thing. We have all these opinions about chili, but once we gather together and we read the word of God, these, these differences disappear. And, that, and that's a small thing. Well, they should. So they, they were, they were, when they gathered together as, as God's chosen people, they gathered not as separate divisions, but as one man. There were no social classes. There were no chili preferences. There were no political parties. There, there were no hurt feelings. The sheer glory, the love of God's word and of gathering together was enough to override all those identities. Everyone in that congregation had a specific identity. They were their own person. But when they were in that gathering, they were a child of Yahweh, one of God's chosen people, and nothing else matters. One of the best sports movies of all time is Remember the Titans. Amen? Amen. And so if you don't know Remember the Titans, it's about uh, T.C. Williams High School in, in 1971, and their school becomes integrated, so their football team becomes integrated, and uh, the white players and the white coaches don't want to play with black players and black coaches and, and vice versa, and so they don't want to play, and uh, they, they hire a black head coach, and he uh, integrates the team, and he works really hard uh, to make them live together, to practice together, to play together, until eventually... They stop defining one another by the color of their skin and they start to see their identity in new ways. They start to not just see them as black or white or as a defensive lineman or as a quarterback or as a running back. They start to see each other in a new way. The, the last line of the movie is this. People say it can't work, black and white. Well, here we make it work every day. We have our disagreements, of course, but before we reach for hate, always, always, we remember the Titans. Because there was an identity that overrode all those other identities. Their race, their, their position on the team, their position in the school. They were the titans. They were the team. And that was the most important thing that identified them. And the same is true for us who are now in Christ. We don't just ignore differences between us. We don't pretend there aren't racial issues or political issues or conflicts. We aren't colorblind. But we recognize that those things are underneath our primary identities as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. When we enter this space and worship together, nothing should separate us from worshiping as one man. And if there is, we seek to reconcile those differences so that we can be unified as one man. So we gather in unity. We, God unifies us in our diversity. So, so they're unified when they come together, and they're intentional. Verse 4, they're intentional, intentionality. And Ezra the scribe, he stood on a wooden platform that they had made for that purpose. So intention, this isn't just like a sporadic reading. It's not, um, it's not just like, hey, we're going to do this. Everyone show up. 
It's not just, it's a planned gathering, but it's not just a planned gathering. It's been prepared for. It was, they made this, this wooden tower, it says, for that purpose. They didn't just set aside time, but they actually put in work to ensure that the reading of God's word was as profitable for everyone as possible. This short verse is full of practicality for us in our everyday lives, both for personal Bible study and for gathering together, because we're sometimes we're really good at planning for Bible study. Like we're going we're gonna to go, we're going to set aside the time, but we're not so good at preparing for studying God's word. So we know on Sunday mornings, we know on Sunday nights, on Wednesday nights, uh, some of the times that the word is going to be proclaimed. So what are ways that we can build our tower, per se, that we can prepare for the proclamation of God's word? One of the ways, practical ways, that I ask my students to do this is I say, hey, you know we're meeting on Sunday night. You know that. And you know that you have homework due on Monday morning. You know that. So maybe to prepare for the reading of God's word, don't just plan to be at church on Sunday night, but actually prepare by doing your homework on Saturday night because you know you're going to have church on Sunday night and not have time to do it. Or sometimes when we're going through a book of the Bible, when we're going through Philippians, one of the ways that we can prepare that God's word will be profitable is by reading through the book just through the week, just, just being in study in Philippians because we know we're going to be there. We know we're going to be in Matthew or Habakkuk or wherever we're going to be. We don't just plan, but we prepare. So how do we build our towers and prepare? Is it finding a right time? Is it not scheduling uh, conflicts during that time of the week for personal Bible study? Is it, uh, do we prepare for Bible study by building personal relationships with people who are going to hold us accountable? Is it finding the right material, finding the right place? Are, are we putting in the work to prepare for the reading of God's word? And I think the answer, a lot of times for me, is no. So one of the challenges of this text is, are we going to plan and prepare for experiences, experiencing God's word on a daily basis and allowing it to form us? Or are we just going to be flippant and say, yeah, whenever, whenever I hear it, I hear it. Whenever I read it, I read it. So they, they were unified in their reading, they were, they were intentional in their reading, and then they had reverence for the reading. So it gives us unity, we intentionally prepare, and we have to revere God's word. We're going to get to the, the, the outcome. If we do these three things, we, we get to the outcome. We've got to do these things. We have to be unified, we have to plan, and we have to be reverent. In verses 5 and 6, uh, as Ezra begins to read, there is a reaction Ezra opened the book in sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra, and this, this verse, verse 6 is a little, it's a little hard for us to read as, as, as Baptists. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. See, there was a, there was a reaction to them hearing God's word, they stand and they raise their hands and they worship and they cry amen and they bow their heads and they give honor to where it is due. They revere the word of God. They elevate it to the level that it deserves. And as I was thinking about this word reverence, I was thinking it's kind of a, it's, it's, reverence is one of those things that it's, you can explain it and you kind of get there. 
But it's one of those things that you really have to, you have to feel it to know what it is. It's this deep respect. It's a deep honor. It's not just something we can know about. It's something in our hearts. Our hearts have to be stirred. It's felt. And I was thinking about reverence. I remembered this scene from the greatest American novel ever written, To Kill a Mockingbird. And after Atticus Finch uh, unsuccessfully defends uh, Tom Robinson, a black man, for a crime that he didn't commit, the whole little town is, is shuffling out of the courtroom and, and Atticus goes to the, his little desk and he picks up his things and he's packing up. And when he turns around, he looks up in the courtroom and he sees people standing. The whole black section, the, the upper balcony, because they were segregated, is standing as he leaves. And his daughter is up there and, and, and she, she kind of asks, what's going on? And, and uh, the, the reverend of the local church, the black church, he says, uh, Jean Louise, your father's passing. Stand up. See, because even though Atticus Finch had failed, they still thought what he did was worth respect and worth honor. That picture, that picture of Atticus turning around and seeing those people stand out of respect is a picture of reverence. Well, this scroll that Ezra is reading from is the very word of God. It isn't just a fictional defense lawyer who's failing. It's the story of a living God and his people and his plan to save them. And he's not a failure. He's a success. And how much reverence is that worth? How much attention, how much honor, how much respect is the word worth? And I don't mean in like a superficial way, like the bindings of this particular copy of God's word is, is, is there's nothing like special, right? I don't revere this copy. I revere the words. I revere what they say. We got we to gotta start revering God's word in a deep, in a real way. We have huge decisions to make in this world. Do we ever consult and revere what the Bible has to say? Many times we may consult the Bible, but if it doesn't say what we want it to say, then we, maybe we don't do that thing. When we are confronted with sin in our lives, are we reverting to the world or are we revering the word? When we sit in Bible study, in our worship service, or doing personal study, are, are we revering the word of God, the taught word of God, or are we letting other things rule our attention? What's on our phone? What's for lunch? Who's winning the game? Are we letting other things rule our attention? Our motivations, our words, our actions, our posts, are those things reflective of the reverence of God and his word? And I think too many times the answer is no. So how do we begin to revere the word? How do we do what the Israelites did? Well, we prepare, we prepare a place for it and we make it central. If we, want, uh, if we want to revere the word, we have to make it central. Look at what they do in, in, in verse five. And he was above all the people and he opened it. They are sitting and they are looking up and they are seeing he is above all things. Not that Ezra is above all things, but that the teaching from the word of God is above all things. We have to fight to get God's word at the very center of our lives. Because once we get it to the center, and once we read it and understand it and focus on it, you will revere it. You cannot hear and understand the word of God and not revere it. 
If you are rejecting the word of God, either one of two things is happening. Either you aren't hearing it, or you are understanding it. That's why uh, later on you see these priests going and, and teaching the people. Like, this is what it says. This is what it means. This is what he's saying. is because they know that when you hear the word and you rightly understand it, that it is irresistible. You can't help but love it. They know that God's word must be rightly understood and rightly taught, so then the people will always come back for more. So that's how the word forms us. It forms us in unity. It forms us in intentionality, and it forms us in reverence of the word. And so experiencing the word forms us, but it also defines our joy. It defines what makes life worth it. Go to verse 9. So the people, they, they do these things, they stand, they hear God's word, and what do they do? They begin to weep. They are broken by the holiness of the word of God. They aren't just taking in information and processing it and thinking like, hmm, that's very good. Astute, yes, very interesting. It's not an intellectual exercise. Hearing the story of their ancestors and how God delivered them and how they failed over and over and over and God continued to bless them and bless them and bless them and, and stay faithful to his people, it wrecked them. It moved them to tears, to weeping. This radical story of God's faithfulness made them weep, had an emotional response. Now, I'm a crier. I don't know if you guys know that. I cry a lot in movies and in reading books and in stories. They easily move me to tears, but I could not tell you the last time that God's word wrecked me like it wrecked the people in this story. And it's not that every time we read scripture that we should be moved to tears, we should be weeping, and we should be ripping our clothes and putting ashes on our heads, but God's word will always have an emotional aspect. We'll always need to feel it to know that we are part of this story as one of God's children, that there should be a, a heart reaction. See, the holiness of God and the unworthiness of man should make us feel something. We should feel lowly. We should feel wicked. We should feel broken. That's what the word of God does to us. That's what it tells us. It says you're evil. It says no one is good. No, not even one. Not even you. And so they feel that. The Israelites sit and they feel that. But they don't stay there for long. Because what, what do the priests tell them? They're, they're mourning. They're weeping. Verse 10, he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, when I'm scrolling through social media, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, whatever it is, I see this perfect snapshot of happiness of fulfillment, of popularity, of, of what other people are doing. And I want that joy that I see. I want that thing that they're showing off. I, I'm letting something else define what joy is. It's not that that actually is joy, but it's saying, hey, look, look, what you're seeing here, this will give you joy. And I believe it. I buy into the lie. But what we see in this text where joy actually begins and ends. It's not by looking horizontally around at other people. No, it's not by looking internally at ourselves. That's not where we find joy. Joy only comes from looking to the Father and realizing just how good he is. 
when we hear about the goodness of God, it should wreck us. It should destroy us because we are broken sinners who are not even worthy to be noticed by God. We cannot even tie his sandals, as John the Baptist says. But the story doesn't end there because his grace turns us from lament, from depression, from sadness to joy. We can be joyful because we are his chosen people. And if this morning you are here and you are in Christ, you know the source of joy. There is only one source of joy and it is the Lord and it is a source that can never run dry. You can never run out. You could scroll through your, your little digital Bible for hours and hours and hours and you would always be looking at the very source of joy. And seeing God through his word, that is our joy and that is our strength. We can rest in all things because our joy is steadfast. It is forever. We can endure all things because the joy of the Lord is our strength. No matter what goes on around us that, that scares us or, or makes us anxious or, or scared or worried or, or angry or, or deeply sad, whatever it is, we can go and we can celebrate. We can go, we can go uh, eat the fat and, and drink good wine, or maybe not the wine part, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready because this day is holy. This day right now, not Sunday, but every day is holy because we can see the good word of God and we can have joy as his people. And so we said at the top, experiencing the word of God, it forms us and it defines our joy. But I was very particular in using this word experience, experiencing God's word. Because that's exactly what's going on in this text. We're not just seeing people hearing words. We're not just being, seeing people see entertainment or make people feel good or go through an intellectual exercise. It's not just about feelings. It's not just about going out and doing stuff. It was a full holistic experience. It affected their hearts and, and their hearts and their heads and their hands. If you are in Christ, you can see that this story right here is not just some ancient event in history, but this is your story. We have a people who are distant from God, who are not clear, who are not near him, they're not obeying him. They're, they're in conflict with his desires. They're in conflict with each other. But then they have this experience with the very word of God and it wrecks them and it turns them to joy. And the same is true for us because we are enemies of God. We do not work for his desires. We work against him, but we have an encounter with the very word of God. And I'm not just talking about hearing scriptures but if you're in here and you are in Christ, you have had an encounter with the incarnate word of God. John 1.1, 1, 1, the word became flesh. The word of God who stepped out of heaven and came to this dusty, broken earth and lived the most amazing life ever lived, the perfect life. He called the people, he called people to himself. He fulfilled their needs, both physical and spiritual. He, he challenged the status quo. He, he challenged hearts to turn to him and show he is the only way. Ultimately, this incarnate word of God came to die on a cross for you and for me, only to raise from the dead three days later and declare for all time that he is the victor, he is the winner, he is the conqueror of sin and death, and there is no power on earth that can overcome him or his people. That is the incarnate word of God, Jesus Christ. And if you were in Christ, you've met that man. 
You've experienced the word of God. You had first-hand experience when, when you heard this story that you saw that you were so low, you were so broken, you, you didn't deserve anything, and you were stuck in your sin. But the very word of God, Jesus Christ, called you to joy. And he said, I'll carry your burden, and you can take mine, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This text this text in Nehemiah is about how we study God's word. Yes, it's about proclamation of God's word, but it's more important than that. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, his place as the incarnate word in a world where he is lifted high above all things and we, our reaction to him is lament in our brokenness, but he says, no, no, don't be broken. Don't lament, don't be sad. Have joy. Because I am good. You can't hear and understand the written word of God if you haven't first experienced the living word of God, Jesus Christ. So if we want unity, we have to be unified around the word of God, the person, Jesus Christ. If we want joy, we must find joy from its very source, the word of God, the incarnate, Jesus Christ. If we want to experience the word of God, not just hear it, not just read it, and not just know about it, then all we must do is look to Christ. We must look to his life, to his sacrifice, to his resurrection, to his teaching, and let everything else go by the wayside, looking, uh, not looking at what other people have, not looking horizontally, but only looking to Christ, because that is the source of our true joy. Only through experiencing the gospel, the word of God, can we be formed to the image of Christ and experience the joy that only he can provide. So this morning, you may all have a different reaction to this proclaimed word of God. Maybe you've never experienced the saving power of the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. And this morning, he is standing, he is waiting, he is begging you to come, that he knows you're broken. He sees you, not just some perfect version of you, but he sees you for who you are right now, and you can be saved. You can have joy, you can have fulfillment in him. Some of you may just be lost and searching for joy. You may be downcast. You may be angry. You may be depressed. You may be scared about something. I want to have men up here to my right and left, and, and they're, they're ready to, to speak the word of God to you and to give you encouragement, to point you to the very source of joy. Or maybe you are thinking right now this morning, I am so in love with the gospel of Jesus Christ that all I have to do is stand and sing and proclaim his name. We'll give you, we're gonna give you a chance to respond that way. But if you don't know Christ, I'll be here. would love to tell you more about him or be men to the right and left. If, if you are struggling and you need prayed for, or you need a scripture recited, or you need to be reminded of who you are in Christ, I'll be here. I'll have men up here. Let's remember the source of joy. Let's remember what it means to experience the word of God, not just the word of God, but the living word of God, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning broken, sad, angry, lamenting, Father, we look around the world and we know that it is broken. We know that we are broken. But God, we also get to look into your word 
and know that there is a better way. Know that there is a source of joy, and that is your son, Jesus Christ. The sacrifice that he made, the power of his resurrection that conquered all things, all anxieties, all fears, all worries, that they are nothing compared to the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of your word. So God, I pray that you stir hearts this morning, stir minds this morning, push people to action this morning, form us into the very image of your son, Jesus Christ, using your word and God, show us that we can have joy. Despite any circumstance, despite any worry, Father God, we know that you are the giver of joy. Give us unity this morning, Father God. Convict us of when we do not love your word enough, when we do not revere it, when we do not intentionally study it and listen to it and meditate on it, Father God. Convict us and compel us to do better, to be better. If we want to look like your son, we must know his very word. Now, there are many things going on right now that are distracting, that are trying to get in the way of the advancement of your kingdom. Take those things away from us. Let us not dwell on things that are frivolous, that are like vapors. Let us focus on the one true thing that will last through eternity, and that is your kingdom. These are big asks. Father, you're the only one who can grant them. Send us your spirit. It's in your son's name we pray. All God's people said.